Welcome to Family of Conviction. She manipulated the family court system for years. On March 15, 2015, my friend Vincent Dewey was convicted of child molestation, a crime he did not commit. Uh, once we found out that the two mothers had put their heads together, we figured that that's where it was coming from. I'm your anonymous host. This is a prepaid collect call from... Vincent Dewey. An inmate at... I'm a friend of Vincent Dewey's, and I'm hosting this podcast anonymously due to the vindictive nature of the bad actors involved. My guide on this journey is Vinny from Inside Prison in the Prison Law Library, where he works tirelessly to prove his innocence every day as a paralegal. And my grandparents paid for the certification to become paralegal to fight, and you start talking about the law? That podcast idea, like, you don't even know. A quick warning, this episode contains explicit language and discusses sexual abuse. It may not be suitable for all audiences. And I have five uncles. My mom's the only daughter of five boys. So I have five brothers. Their names and any other non-voluntary parties will be redacted from these episodes for the sake of legal protection. It just doesn't make sense. Like, my brother knew that these were all lies, but they did nothing. Like, I even said to him, I said, you'd rather see my son in prison than stand up against her. They lived in fear of her because of what she does. In this episode, we'll take an in-depth look at the individual who was instrumental in Vinny's arrest and conviction, but completely left out of his trial. The mother of accuser one. Now, we didn't know really what was going on. Here's Vinny's mom, Cindy, on when she first heard about the accusations. Until my brother Carl called me. My dad was turning 80 and we wanted to throw him a surprise party. She goes on to explain that he'd contacted another brother the father of accuser two. She quotes a conversation between Carl and the father of accuser two. And said, I've been calling you for weeks now. Why aren't you calling me back regarding dad's surprise party? He goes, because I'm not going to go anywhere Vinny is. Little Vinny, as they, everybody calls him. And then he went on to tell my brother what supposedly happened. What supposedly happened is detailed in our first episode. But to put it simply, he was accused of child molestation of his younger cousins many years prior. All the individuals involved are adults now. A lot of this contact that one of them supposedly had with me was during this crazy divorce with my uncle. We never saw them. Here's Cindy referring to the mother of accuser one as most family members suspected her involvement from the beginning. She lives upstate in Schenectady, where she lives with her boyfriend, who she cheated on with my brother and got pregnant and had another child. Jerry Springer, come to us. Vinny's grandfather, Carmine. My family is harassed by this woman who's a psychopath that my son met in a bowling alley. A mother has six kids by four different men. A sociopath? Is that the, like, you know what I'm saying? She's a s psychopath? There was multiple instances where every time my uncle would be in our presence, she would have issues with him. There would be police called. So there was always something, but we didn't have never had direct contact with her face to face since 1998. I have not seen her since 1998. The mother of accuser one was divorced from Vinny's uncle in 1997 and 1998. The family ceased direct contact with this individual at that time. They will not see this individual again until 2014 at Vinny's trial. In listening to their stories, I do want to acknowledge this person sounds like they had a difficult childhood and were possibly subject to physical and sexual abuse. It appears to me they act out on their trauma with false accusations of those close to them in family court and criminal court. In this section, Vinny, his family, and myself will attempt to detail her history of false accusations as they relate to his trial. She never liked me because she couldn't get away with nothing with me. Vinny's father, Vincent Sr. She was in a, a juvenile hall. The mother got rid of her, just stepmother. It didn't matter. She went after her own parents. She attacked her stepmother. 
like I said, she just was not a nice person. She's one of these people that you read about always making herself look like the victim. Every one of her kids she's claimed has been hit or harmed by somebody in their life. Every one. Same thing was with her first husband. Her first husband she accused of molesting their three-year-old daughter and filed charges. 1991, she accused her first husband of sexually assaulting their daughter. She had him dragged through the court system in Suffolk County. Charges were unfounded. She divorced him, but then she remarried him. She married him again a second time and had a second child with him. So she remarried the man who she accused of sexually abusing their two-year-old daughter. Does that make sense? At that point, there was unreported charges that he was sexually abusing the son. And her reason for not reporting that to the police was, well, he only does it when he's drunk or high. So we spoke about that, and he's not, he's safe when he's with him. Capped it off is when I went to the police station. She was in there. She used to hang out there. She knew every cop in there. And the one cop used to go to the house all the time. Now, what are you doing, playing baseball games? Here's Cindy referring to the charges against Vinny in 2014. I actually spoke to her first husband when these things came out. And I said, you know what it's like. You went through it. And he goes, well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, I was drinking at the time. She's so convincing she'd think that you were the pope, yet you thinking you were the pope and that you were, like, his holiness. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's just nuts. There was a second husband after she remarried and divorced the first. And there was another man she married. Don't know his name, but he caught on to her evil ways within a month, took off and annulled the marriage. Following that divorce, she married the father of accuser one. Then when she married my uncle, there was multiple allegations of physical abuse of her and her children. And true to form, her pattern of allegations in family court continued. I used to tell my son, get rid of her. It was a disaster from day one. My brother's very volatile. He has a drinking problem. She's evil. If you said to her, don't, she went nuts. My brother would come home from work and the house would be a mess. He'd flip out. She'd flip out. When they had this whole this crazy divorce, it was brutal. She was calling the cops. She stole license plates off his car in the middle of the night and said there's an unregistered vehicle. There was cops outside my house at 2 o'clock in the morning trying to tow a car away. She threw his clothes out. She accused him of hitting all this crazy shit during this divorce. So once she moved away, my family had nothing to do with it. They never saw her. She made these allegations to numerous people before, and I didn't trust, I didn't want my kids around them. The family will now detail an incident in 2001 when this individual first declared a vendetta against Vincent Dewey. Uh, April 16th, 2001. So normally my mom would have a house full of people for Easter Sunday. So of course my brother had no place to go because he had no wife, no girlfriend, whatever. He had his sons for Easter. So one of the kids kept them running in and out, calling Vinny fat, you're a fag, going back and forth. So my mother said to him, we don't speak that way in this house. And he goes, well, my mother said I could say it. He's saying all kinds of derogatory things about Vinny, about his weight and everything. And I called her a bitch. Vinny was barely out of high school when this happened. I can't believe I don't even want to curse, but when I said that, it was in front of one of her children. Three days later, there's an allegation in the police department that I sexually sodomized one of her children a year ago, but she couldn't tell when or what time. But she's always known about it, but she decided that that's when she was going to go to the police. Tuesday morning, early in the morning, my husband and I are still sleeping. My phone rings, 6 o'clock in the morning. The call was from the father of accuser one, her youngest brother. 
I don't know how to say this, but I'm just going to say it. He goes, he detailed that the mother of accuser one was accusing Vinny of molesting her other son. Her son from the husband who she remarried. And that's where it took off from there. She spoke to detectives in the, I believe, in the sex crimes unit. And they said, yeah, she made a phone call. She made a phone call. She had him, uh, the son brought him for physical. They found no, no signs of physical damage at all. Uh, they never, they never spoke to Vinny at all. He goes, yeah, he say, she's saying that uh, he molested him twice uh, four years ago. And she's known about it, but she never said anything because she didn't want to upset the family. So that was investigated. That was thrown out and unfounded. There was nothing found because nothing happened. No, they never even interviewed him. Then later in 2010, she reached out to District Attorney Rice. I have papers from the District Attorney. Actually, Kathleen Rice was the District Attorney. She asked Madeline Singus, who is the District Attorney now, to look into because she wrote a letter stating that the police department is ignoring her, which is a lie. Here is the letter from Sylvia Finkelstein, Special Victims Bureau, Child Abuse Unit, Nassau County, July 1st, 2010, to Madeline Singus, who asked for the investigation, as Cindy referenced. For reference, CPS stands for Child Protective Services. PIN stands for Person in Need of Supervision, a title given to a child who is under the age of 18 and behaves in such a way that could be considered out of control or dangerous. I put the mother's name into the CPS system. They live in Schenectady County outside Albany. Since 1991, there have been seven cases called into the CPS hotline about this mother slash family. None of them have involved sexual abuse. They have two cases open right now. So I've called the CPS investigator in Schenectady who was assigned to them to open the cases. Her name is Diane Scanacotti, and she told me the following. Both of her sons have pins petitions related to substance abuse and truancy. Their mother, name redacted, our writer, is not cooperating with CPS and has a history of accusing people of not doing their job. Her house is a mess. She cannot control her sons and tries to blame other people for their behavior. The boy's father lives on Long Island and the boys want to live with him, but the mother won't allow it. She files Pins petitions regarding her son's substance abuse, but then refuses to cooperate. Although CPS has been involved with this family for years, they have never reported anything related to sexual abuse. CPS has referred and is tracking these boys with respect to substance abuse counseling, in spite of their mother's lack of cooperation. They have sex abuse counseling and could easily refer the sons to that type of counseling if the mother had reported to them anything related to sexual abuse, but she never has. Further, I called the special victim squad and confirmed there had been a report by this woman in 1999, which was closed. The 99 report could refer to the allegations against Vinnie made in 2001, referencing the event as if it happened in 1999. We have a CPS worker giving a letter back to the Nassau County Sex Crimes Division investigating her claims, saying that her house is a mess, she can't control her children, she blames her children's problem on everyone else but herself. We asked if they need sex counseling abuse or sexual survivor abuse training, and she refuses to let us speak with them. She has not cooperated in past investigations. That is literally from a CPS worker in Schenectady, New York, where she lived, after she had made her other allegations. So that was never disclosed. And they advised that, you know, if you're saying that your sons are saying, your son said that he was abused, bring him for counseling. She never did. After this, she accused Benny's grandmother of kidnapping. She's always brought up allegations and went after my grandmother, said she kidnapped her children. 
when she abandoned them so she could run off for a weekend with her boyfriend that she was cheating on my uncle with. Uh, she went after my father for just because he was standing outside one day. In 2007, she accused Vinny's father of threatening her with a gun. 2007, she tried to have me arrested. I was standing out in front of the house with my father-in-law, my neighbor Mike across the street and his brother Joe, and we were standing there talking, and she came out of the house across the street with her kids in the car, and we were just standing there. She went back to Schenectady, New York, and said that I was yelling and screaming and thre uh, threatening them, and we have guns in the house. I don't own any guns, but she was allowed to go to court and say whatever she wants and do whatever she wants. A key point to make here. The father of accuser one lives in a house across the street from Vinny's parents, a home Vinny had partial residency at throughout college and up to 2014. The proximity of those houses fed into her obsession as she had shared custody and often visited the house across the street from Vinny and his parents. She said that he rushed the car, threatened her and her children's lives. He's very angry, and she took that to family court. So my father had a retained a paid attorney. They went to family court, and she didn't show up to prosecute the case. Uh, second time, she didn't show up, and the judge and the lawyer were talking for a half hour, an hour, and uh, my lawyer said, uh, you know, Your Honor, this is the second time that this woman didn't show up. Uh, case dismissed. The second time, she had her daughter show up. And after they dismissed the case, the daughter was yelling and screaming at the judge, and she got thrown out of the court. So the case was thrown out. So now we're up to 2014. What makes this round of accusations different? She had my nephew. There was two now. The second accuser is another one of Vinny's cousins from a different marriage. They're both the children of mothers who married into Vinny's family, grew up in troubled homes, and had strained relationships with Vinny's parents, grandparents, and other uncles. She's good. She knows that even our attorney said, if it was just one, he goes, we'd win this in a heartbeat. He goes, but now there's two. On behalf of the boys, she went and spoke to somebody on April 1st. On April 1st, the mother of accuser one went to the police, saying she'd been given permission to speak on the boys' behalf. She also wrote a letter with the same date, April 1st. This case, they didn't do their research. They heard what it was. They looked at the mother's previous allegations of me and my family and used that as their springboard to arrest. Here are some excerpts from the April 1st letter written by the mother of accuser one. Others may be included throughout the podcast as relevant points are made. Quick note. As a documentarian, I've chosen to remove any explicit language referring to the acts Vinny's accused of. His family strongly believes the graphic nature of the fabricated accusations swayed the jury. And out of respect to Vinny and his family, I will not detail any explicit acts fabricated in the accusations against Vinny. They will be redacted. In 1999, when my son was nine, he revealed to his father and I that Vincent Dewey Jr., a cousin by marriage, had him in a vicious manner two times when he was eight years old. A report was filed and my son did have forensic examination. After we compiled all requests made by police, we were told Vincent Dewey Jr. had retained an attorney and could not be questioned by police. We were advised to obtain counseling from my son, and that was that. Last summer, my son, meaning accuser one, who was a direct first cousin of Vincent Dewey Jr., revealed to me that from the age of five to nine, Vincent Jr. on numerous occasions him. These crimes were committed during my son's weekend visitation with his father. I strongly urged him to go to the police, but he declined at the time as he was embarrassed and felt his family would berate him further. Last month, I was advised by my son, Accuser 1, that his first cousin, Accuser 2, did confide to him that Vincent Dewey Jr. 
repeatedly, from the age of three to twelve. I agreed to write this letter on their behalf, as they had given me verbal consent to do so. Vincent Dewey Jr. has recently obtained employment working with young boys. The location cannot be obtained by me at this time, but now that the boys have confided in each other and don't feel that they will be singled out, their embarrassment and fear have turned to outrage and protection mode for the potential victims in Vincent's care at this time. So her involvement was right up there from the beginning. She wrote a letter saying that, oh, he works with children, so he must be taken off of the street, which was another lie. I was a battery salesman for a television and film equipment company. I did not work with children at, at age 31, 32. I was not working with children at that time, but the police saw that, saw the allegation from her on the first, whatever decided for them to make an, make an appointment because their testimony said that she was the one that made the appointment for these two individuals to go and speak to the police, and she drove the two individuals to go speak to the police. Her previous accusations of any were used as justification for his arrest. And one thing that's a major key point that can help exonerate me. This is where I truly enjoy co-hosting this podcast with Vinny. He's become a paralegal while in prison, and his examination of this case post his conviction is extraordinary. Another thing they used to arrest me was she wrote a letter on April 1st, 2014, saying that the two individuals involved gave her the permission to contact the police on their behalf, and that these two individuals said they never spoke about this case to each other. They swear under oath, and so did the district attorney, that they didn't discuss this ever before that, until April 7th and 8th, of 2014. I was arrested on the 16th. Accuser 1 and Accuser 2 testified under oath that they never confided the sexual abuse to each other until April 7th or 8th, one week after April 1st. So if that is true, how is this individual who had nothing to do with the case but was supposed to testify and didn't testify is saying everything that went on when they never discussed it with each other until those dates eight days later? Through my research and my, my legal work, I found that somebody contacted the police in regards to this case in February of 2014. What Vinny's referring to here is a Nassau County Police report, printed 2-24-2014, a report of sexual abuse at Vinny's home address. The report does not detail the accuser. That's two months prior before a police officer should have ever known that a crime was alleged to have committed. In Vinny's legal opinion, the mother of accuser one was coached possibly with the district attorney to get the proper story straight to ensure Vinny's arrest this time. They did this over the period of February 2014 up to April 2014. So they had two months between the district attorney's office, the police, and conspiring with each other to get their story right in order to convict me. Quick note. At the bottom of the April 1st letter are handwritten notes from district attorney Kathleen Rice. It is clear she was aware of the previous allegations from the mother of accuser one in those notes. And then approximately two months later, this happened. Before I was arrested, my mother had gotten a phone call from one of her brothers, and he said that I just spoke with your nephew, who was accuser two, just spoke with his father, and he said that accuser one's mother had come over the house and had a meeting with them. Now, there's no reason for her to be over there because since the divorce and she moved away, they had never seen her and never talked to her. So prior to me being arrested, she had to sit down and has a meeting with them discussing whatever they discussed. We knew that's where the conspiring started in order to get the arrest and to get the conviction. 
they they just called and said uh, come in tomorrow getting arrested they didn't no no proof no evidence no investigation they just called and said you're getting arrested even when my attorney the attorney brought my son in he said you know the mother has a history of doing this and they said yeah we know the dates of the charges moved as they anticipated Vinny's trial in order to charge him as an adult. Some of the original dates given would have placed him under that mark, making him a minor when he committed these offenses and lessening the criminality of the event. Oh, and the best is when they putting in the charges in the computer yeah. with the dates that supposedly it happened, the early dates. The computer kept on kicking it back because he was underage. So they had to adjust it to later dates so they can get the arrest record in. Vinny was indicted in June of 2014 on multiple accounts of child molestation of Accuser 1 and Accuser 2. They did the grand jury in June, and of course a grand jury indicts a ham sandwich. And the grand jury is one part where something needs to change in justice reform. Because even though you can go defend yourself, they don't. You just hear the side of the plaintiff. You don't get a chance to defend yourself to the grand jury. That's not what that's for. This is here to see if there's enough evidence to progress with a trial. And of course, here in their nice fabricated story, they of course indicted my son. His trial would happen the following year in March. At this time, of course, the family was distraught. The youngest of the brothers in Cindy's family are twins. One of them is the father of accuser one. His brother, Christopher, believes Vinny and knows these accusations to be false, and even confronted his twin brother about it. Yes, my twin brother did ask him how he felt about what's going on, and that, you know, this is killing our mom and dad. And he said he didn't want to talk about it, so I just kept pressing, and he said that his wife and my sister-in-law, both my sister-in-law put those kids up to that, is what he told me. That both his sister-in-laws put their sons up to it, meaning coerced them into these accusations, or convinced them. We'll deal with that in the next episode. Here's Chris referring to the mother of accuser too. My sister-in-law comes from a family of like 14, 13 or 14 kids and just totally, uh, they're basically on their own all their life. As far as I know, you know, I knew her in high school when we were, we were in the same class together, you know. Here's Cindy referring to the mother of accuser too. You gotta know the family dynamic. My sister-in-law defended no matter what her sons did. There was no consequences. There was no accountability. It didn't matter if they got caught stealing something. The cop yelled at them, so she would tell off the cop. One of my nephews brought his cell phone into school, and, you know, those days, they took them away. She proceeded to go up to the high school, banging on the principal's door, and threaten the principal. There was no accountability. No matter what they did, they were good boys. So while the mother of Accuser 2 is clearly complicit, who is relevant to this case in the show is the instigator of these charges against Vinny, the mother of Accuser 1. This individual, this woman, was all over this disclosure information, had their hand in this prosecution and initiating this prosecution from the beginning. So now throw in that accusation, throw in this individual who, anytime the wind blows against this person, has gone to family court against ex-husbands, family court against current husbands, family court against my family, my grandparents, my father. There's a history of harassment within this family from this individual. And what blows my mind is that when this person was supposed to testify, the district attorney said, I've decided not to call this individual. I turned to my attorney and said, get her on the stand. 
And what blows my mind to this day after knowing the law is when he said the less witnesses against us, the better. Vinny's younger brother, Scott, referring to his testimony during the trial. I felt really hamstrung on what we were and weren't allowed to talk about. We knew the outside source of where this crap was coming from was the mothers, and that like wasn't an option. In later episodes, we'll cover the trial, but I'll leave you with this. Not a single juror who found Vinny guilty knew about this individual or her history of accusations. Not a single one. That was the key right there to me being exonerated. If the jury knew that this story that supposedly happened, that they can't tell you what time, what date, what season, if it was every weekend, if it was Saturday or Sunday, if it was Christmas time, this entire allegation with this woman testifying that she has a history of doing it and coercing her children what to say when it comes time for her in a police report or in a court case. If the jury heard that, I wouldn't be sitting where I am today. On behalf of Vinny and myself, thank you for listening to this episode of Family of Conviction. To offer aid or advice to the family or watch the documentary short film, please see our show notes.